studying Ursa Torah and we're in Perak Aleph. The topic of Perak Aleph in Ursa Torah is Torah Shebechsav and Torah Shebaalpeh. And the relationship between the written Torah and the oral Torah. In what ways are they different? In what ways are they similar? How do they interact with each other to the extent that they interact with each other? Um, which is higher than the other and in what ways? So in Os Aleph, we spoke about really the difference between Torah Shavuqsav and Torah Shavuqsav in a sentence. Torah Aleph, Os Aleph, is that the Torah Shavuqsav comes completely from Hashem, and to the extent that we receive it, because Rav Kook said it's touching but not touching, it's like kind of not fully received by us, which is why when Hashem first gave the Luchos, they smashed, because we could not properly receive the light of the Torah Shavuqsav. And the Torah Shavuqsav, which is generated by Jewish people by the nation of Israel, by the collective soul of the Jewish people, as embodied through the Talmud Bavli and uh, the Midrashim and the Talmud Yushalmi as well. And the Talmud, the Talmud Yushalmi, as we'll hopefully learn a little bit more today, <coughs> the Torah of Eretz Yisrael is a meeting point, much more bolet, much more clear meeting point between the Torah Shavuqsav and Torah Shavuqsav and, and the Talmud Bavli is... Talmud Bavli self-identifies in the Gemara. The Gemara says, "B'chashachim hishivani." It's a pasuk. In darkness, he has set me down. He has had me sit. And the Gemara says, "Da Talmud Bavli." This is the Talmud Bavli, which is described as darkness, as opposed to the Talmud Bavli, which largely uses the terminology of Tashma, coming here, hearing, which is something which is a little bit more uh, distant. So the Zohar Kadosh and the Talmud Yerushalmi uses a lashon of Tachazi, come and see, or various derivatives of, of seeing versus hearing. And seeing versus hearing seems to be an, a, a little bit of a difference between the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat. That which is written can be seen, that which is uh, supposed to be oral can be heard. And so the Talmud Yerushalmi, which is just one step further, and the Zohar Kadosh, which was written in Eretz Yisrael, is just one step further towards the unification of the Torah Shavuqsav and the Torah Shavuqsav, the two of them together. Because it's in Eretz Yisrael that the mysterious relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people comes to its maturity. And so the Sanhedrin, which is sitting by the Kodesh HaKadoshim, is sitting in the Lishcha Sagazis, right by the place where Shemaim and Eretz kiss. Whereas we read the last line of Os Aleph, Shnei Orim Halalu Osim Olim Shalim Shemaim Eretz Yishaku Betocha. Heaven and earth kiss in that place. So by the place where the Lishchah Sagazis is where the Sanhedrin is able to experience, on the one hand, the cognition of the mind. They're, they're using their human intellect. that There are certain uh, practices in the Sanhedrin that the least wise has to speak first so that he's not influenced by the thoughts of the more wise. We go around, you know, and each of the people give their verdict, but the youngest and least senior of the, uh, of the sages, both in terms of age and wisdom, give their opinion first, unless you think that's an insult to their, you know, to the, the pecking order. I mean, just being on the Sanhedrin is pretty, pretty remarkable. But there is some sort of pecking order, perhaps. Uh, it's hard to exactly know, but within reason, we try to go in an order where we're using our minds and we're not being influenced by a mind which is greater than ours, which indicates some sort of human cognition. At the same time, the idea, which Rashi already cites at the end of uh, Parshas Yisro going into Mishpatim, Elah Mishpatim, why is Elah Mishpatim put right next to this, this uh, building of the Mizbeach? 
because why are the Sanhedrin sitting next to the Mizbeach? Because they need to be in close proximity to the Kodesh Kodeshim. And so therefore, they'll be in proximity to the Luchos and the Shivrei Luchos, which are the highest, most potent form of Torah Shibach that there even is. And through their sitting in close proximity to the Kodesh Kodeshim, then you have this melding together of human intellect and divine intellect, um, if we could say the two of those in the same breath. And the more that we are connected to Eretz Yisrael, and the more that Eretz Yisrael is, uh, is built up in the way that it's supposed to be, which is what we're going to learn in Os Beis, in Os uh, Gimel, the more that Torah Shabbat and Torah are able to work kind of in unison together. So Os Aleph is really talking about these two different directions. Torah Shabbat which is a very top-down experience of Hashem giving it to us. Torah Shabbat which is generated largely by the Jewish people. But to the extent that they could work together and influence each other, that is how the Jewish people and Hashem come together in this remarkable, in this remarkable union of Kutshiruchu and Yisrael, those two ends which are brought together through Torah. The Torah Shabbat which is primarily Hashem's domain, but has elements of human, uh, you know, functioning. We're not allowed to change any of the letters of the, of the Torah Shabbat, but we are there to interpret the Torah Shabbat. On the other hand, the Torah Shabbat, which is largely from the domain of man, but uh, at the same time is being influenced through the, um, through the Ruach HaKodesh of the, of the, of the Ummah, which is sourced, of course, in the Rabbon Shalom himself. So that's Osam. Osbeis, um, just another minute of, of review, because we had such a long break in between. Um, hopefully we'll get into a little bit of a, a movement where we can, we can build off of the ideas from the previous week. In Osbeis, Rav Cook talks about how on the surface, Torah Shavich Sav is higher than Torah Shavalpeh. Because on the surface, Torah Shavalpeh is born out of the Torah Shavich Sav, and just as a child is given less kavod and is less chashuv than the parent, um, so the, or me nitle bimi, as we spoke about last week, right, when you compare two things, that which is the source of the comparison is usually greater than the thing that's being compared to. Somebody, for example, is a very talented uh, writer, and you say, wow, Shakespeare, you know? This guy's a Shakespeare. So who's being compared to who? Shakespeare's not being compared to you, you're being compared to Shakespeare. Stama, Shakespeare is the greater of the two. So the fact that me nitle bimi, that Torsh Bechsav, is the source that Torah Shabbat is derived from it implies on the surface that Torah Shabbat is less is lesser in the hierarchy than Torah Shabbat Torah Shabbat is lesser than Torah Shabbat however and, and we see this in Halacha as well not stacking Svarim in a certain way which goes back to the time of the Rishon already this notion that maybe Torah Shabbat should the Gemara talks about Torah on top of Nevi'im and Nevi'im on top of Ksuvim but there is a further uh, discussion, which is found already in uh, the Shalas and Shudas of the Rishonim, that perhaps one should not stack a Gemara on top of a Ksuvim, because the Torah Shabbat is, in a revealed sense, lower than the Torah Shabbat and one should not be stacked on top of the other. Or Torah Shabbat should be stacked on top of Torah Shabbat when, when they need to be stacked. However, says so sort of Kluk, in their hidden form, in its hidden place, Torah Shabbat is actually higher than Torah Shabbat and this we quoted last time, the words of Eliyahu Navi in the Tanah de Eliyahu, that Eliyahu Navi said that people think that the Torah Shabbat Sav is higher than the Torah Shabbat Peh, but the truth is that the Torah Shabbat Peh is actually higher, the Am Yisrael is higher than the Torah itself. The Jewish people are higher than the Torah itself because the Torah was given for the sake of Am Yisrael. And so therefore the Torah's whole existence owes itself to the Jewish people who are the source of Torah Shabbat Peh. 
So on the one hand, when you look at it from an ex- ex- uh, exoteric um, position, it looks like the Torah Shabbat is coming out of, is born out of the Torah Shabbat. We, we, we study and identify certain quirks within the Torah Shabbat, and out of there we give birth and give rise to the Torah Shabbat. That's what it looks like on the outside. But the reality is that the only reason that there even is a Torah Shabbat to begin with is because Hashem gave the Torah Shabbat in the merit of the Jewish people, which means that really the Torah Shabbat is born out of the Jewish people's existence. So that in its hidden sense, really the Torah Shabbat is higher and is the higher source um, of the Torah Shabbat. This is a very difficult idea to kind of wrap our heads around, but uh, it's both. Okay, so this brings us to Os. Does Rib Cook say this stand? No, because that would be in a revealed sense. Right? In, in a revealed sense, we would say that. In a revealed sense, we would say that no, one must stack Torah Shabbat on top of Torah with the knowledge in their heart that indeed it is the Torah Shabbat that is supporting the Torah Shabbat. And that is the Chashiv. It's the Esod, it's the foundation stone of the whole thing. Right? So that's how we would say it. Okay? So in Oz Gimel, in Oz Gimel of Kuk, now is going to speak more, and I'll try to, like we said before, read it and to make. Because Rav Kuk is speaking, <laughs> he is packing a lot in. Um, and if one were to footnote properly every word of Rav Kook, so then every word that he's saying is actually a hyperlink to some greater idea, and to the extent that I'm aware of things, I will try to point them out. Okay, so in Oz Gimel, Rav Kook is going to really go fully into this idea that Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Peh are like, um, are, are like two partners, and our be- the partnership is best expressed in the land of Israel. Yenikas Torah Shabal Peh, he begnizo minashamayim ubegoloi meharetz. The Yenika, what is it mean to be Yonik? To nurse, right? To nurse, the nursing, the, the, the nutrients, and therefore the, the, the sustenance of Torah Shabal Peh, in its hidden form, comes from heaven. In other words, Torah Shabal Peh is nursing from a source on high in Shamayim. That is to say, the Torah Shavuchsav. Ubegiloi meha'aretz. Now, the yinika of Torah Shavuchsav in its hidden form, this is a very difficult line to translate, literally, in its hidden form is from heaven. Ubegiloi, but when it actually gets revealed, it turns out that the Torah Shavuchsav is actually being nursed, nursed from, the, from the Eretz. Eretz Yisrael needs, in order for Torah Shabbat to be properly expressed, the land of Israel needs to be built up. And all of the Jewish people need to dwell in the land of Israel. They need to be organized in all of their orders. In other words, all the different departments of what it means to live in a land need to be properly organized. Mikdash umalchus, both Ebesa Mikdash as well as a kingship, a monarchy. Both the ritual aspect, the holiness of the Beis HaMikdash, which is primarily the uh, domain of the Kohanim, as well as the realm of the monarchy, which is primarily in the domain of the king. You need both of those. You also need Kohuna Vinavua. You need the Kohanim, the priestly caste, as well as the prophets to be properly functioning. Shoftim v'shotrim v'kol tachsiseihem. You need judges and policemen, 
and all of their tachsiseha means all of their all of their dealings, all of the different manifestations and protocols. I guess that's probably a better word. Pro, all the different protocols of courts and policemen and justices need to all be functioning in order for the Torah Shvalpeh to be fully active. Az chayahi Torah Shvalpeh b'chol ziv tifarta. Then the Torah Shvalpeh will be able to shine with all of its splendor. Without wanting to get too much into this, um, let's just point out one quick thing. That Torah Shvalpeh here in Rav Kook's writing relies on the binyan of Eretz Yisrael. Okay? Now the concept of Eretz, the word Eretz, um, there is a sefer that exists, well there are actually two svarim that exist by this name, that are called the svarim Kihilat Yaakov. Kihilas Yaakov. Now, one Kihilas Yaakov is written by Stipler Gon, the father of Rav Chaim Kanievsky, known as Rav Yisrael Kanievsky, and he was one of the greatest Torah scholars of the previous generation. Rav Chaim Kanievsky is still alive, he should live and be well. Uh, and his father, the Stipler Gon, wrote a set of svarim called Kihilas Yaakov. You used to not be able to purchase the Sefer unless you went for a Faher from the Stifler Kohn himself. He would test you on the Masechta, and if you were holding enough in the Masechta, then you could read his Chidushim. Now you could buy the whole set in any Svarim store. And there are these um, somewhat thin, some of them are a little bit thicker, some of them are a little thinner, very plainly designed black Svarim, just black with a little bit of writing on it that says Kiyos Yaakov, that's it. There's no designs, there's no ornate anything. But they are filled with wonderful, wonderful insights from the, uh, from the Stifler Kohn. There is one on Kiddushin. Highly recommend that you get it. And the essays uh, speak about all different types of things. There's, I, I walked in here today, I saw somebody was doing the sugi of Nasan Huva Amarhu, Nasan Nahiv Amrahi, on Daf Vamal Aleph. And he has a sugi about that. Amira Bikidushin. There's all different types of uh, wonderful things. There is another sefer called Kilas Yaakov, which is of an entirely different uh, genre. And that is a Kabbalistic dictionary. The Kilas Yaakov of the Stipe is multiple volumes. The Kilas Yaakov. Uh, the Kabbalistic Dictionary, I think, is one volume, and some versions is printed as two volumes. And there, you could look up in encyclopedia form, Aleph or Tuf, uh, any word. Let's take, for example, if you look up, uh, we're coming close to, I have a whole mimer that I wrote about this. If you look up, we're coming close to uh, the Hanukkah. So there, in the Gemara Hanukkah, it says that you should light the Hanukkah candles at Shetichla Regal Minashuk. And when the Gemara says, what is the time of, when is the last people leaving the marketplace? So the Gemara says, Ad shetichla rigla de tarmudoy, until the tarmudoyin leave the marketplace. Who are the tarmudoyin? The tarmudoyin is some nation, some nation that's mentioned in a few places in the Torah and during the days of Shlomo Melech. And so if you look under the Os uh, Tuf, the last letter of the Aleph Beis, in the Kilas Yaakov, you can look up the word tarmudoy, and he'll tell you what the Kabbalistic Indian of the tarmudoyin is. Or you could look up the word uh, Enayim, I'll tell you about what, what is the Kabbalistic imagery of the eyes. That is to say, when the Zohar refers to the eyes or to the Tamridoyin or to the sun or to the moon or to dayness or to nightness or to a table or to a chair or to anything, how does that correlate to Kabbalistic imagery that's embodied in the Spheros and in the Partsufim and in the Olamos and in various different things? Usually they're not very long. They're just short, you know, paragraphs. And that is the Sefer Kilas Yaakov. Why do I bring that up? Because if you look up the word Eretz in the Kilas Yaakov, you'll see that the word Eretz 
uh, earth, specifically the word Eretz, as opposed to the word Adama or other words for earth, Eretz corresponds to the concept of the final sphera, that of Malchus, and specifically Eretz Yisrael, which is the place of Malchus. And if you look up Malchus, or if you look up Torah Shabal Peh in Kilas Yaakov, you will see that those things all have to do with each other. Torah Shabal Peh, which comes from uh, the Peh, from the mouth, and like the Zohar Kodesh says, Malchus Peh, that the sphere of Malchus relates to the mouth, um, and Torah Shabal Peh relates to the sphere of Malchus, and Eretz Yisrael relates to the sphere of Malchus. All of those things relate to Malchus. Now, just so you can have something to latch onto, because I don't want it to be too esoteric, okay? everybody in davening, whether you are the greatest rationalist in the world, or you are uh, steeply, you know, firmly steeped in, in Kabbalistic doctrine, says the words, hopefully, as long as you spend enough time davening, um, you get up to, and you don't have to skip the part where we say, L'cha Hashem HaGidula, Gedula is a code word for chesed. The rest of them are not code words. They're very, right? Gedula, I'll show you another place where we see the word Gedula as a, as a stand-in for chesed. Um, um, Hagadol hagibor vahanora. Gadol, gibor, and nora correspond to chesed, uh, gevura, and tiferes. Correspond to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And that is found where? In the first bracha of Shimon Esri, called Avot. Right? So again, Gedula there is, a, is for Chesed. So, L'chashem ha-Gedula, v'ha-Givura, so you have Chesed, Givura, v'ha-Tiferes, v'ha-Netzach, v'ha-Hod, those are all explicit. Ki-Kol ba-Shamayim is a reference to Yisod. Kol is the concept of Yisod. Ki-Kol ba-Shamayim. Uva-Aretz. Aretz is Malchus. Aretz is Malchus. Okay, so Malchus corresponds to Aretz, and specifically to Aretz Yisrael. I'll give you one other uh, teaching, which I may or may not have mentioned before to you. Um, those seven spheros of chesed through Malchus are also alluded to in the very first pasuk in the Torah. This is very much a tangent. But the very first pasuk in the Torah alludes to the seven shepherds, each of whom correspond to a different sphera. Uh, very, very briefly and quickly, Bereshis corresponds to Avram Avinu, who was the first, who's called, like the pasuk says in Shir Hashir, Mirosh Amana. Um, the first ma'amin, the first amanam, lashon of emuna, the first of the of those who are called those who are faithful to God, is Avram Avinu. Bereishis is a reference to Avram Avinu, who is called Bereishis. Bara is the osios be'er, the be'eru shal Yitzchak, the be'eru to Yitzchak that he digs those wells, um, is is the osios bara. Uh, Elokim is the next, which is spelled with a hey actually, is the osios ohalim, which is a reference to Yaakov Avinu, who is called Yoshev ohalim. S is a reference to the next of the shepherds, which corresponds to Moshe Rabbeinu, which corresponds to the sphere of Netzach, is S, Moshe Rabbeinu, who taught us the Torah from Aleph through Tav. Hashamayim is the next, is Aaron HaKohen, of the, it's also the Ushbizen, right? Aaron HaKohen is the next one, which is Hashamayim, which is a reference to the clouds, the Anani HaKavod, which we got in the merit of Aaron HaKohen, uh, which corresponds to Netzach. Uh, Ve'es corresponds to Yesod, Tzadik Yesod Olam, Yosef HaTzadik, who is the Yesod, corresponds to V'es, which is the letters scrambled of Os, the Ospris Kodesh, Yosef HaTzadik, who protected his Ospris Kodesh. And then finally, Haaretz is David HaMelech, who was the king over Eretz Yisrael, the first, uh, the first unified king over Eretz Yisrael, who was the one who intended to build the Reis HaMikdash, which is the seat of Malchus Hashem. And therefore, again, you see the word Eretz is a stand-in for the concept of Malchus. So here, when Rav Kook writes, Torah Shavalpem, um, is Genuzim and Hashem the Gile Meha Aretz and needs Eretz Yisrael to be built up? It's because Torah Shabal Peh 
needs Eretz, needs Malchus, which comes from Malchus Peh, like I said before, Torah Shabal Peh, Eretz Yisrael, um, are both rooted in this concept of Malchus. Okay? Now, to the extent that Eretz Yisrael is built up in a very simple way, to the extent that there are people who are uh, land planners, you know, and, they, and to the extent that the light rail is being built up in Eretz Yisrael, and that Yerushalayim is going to connect all the different parts of Eretz Yisrael, that seems like a very simple thing, but in the world of Rav Kook, and in the world of those who have eyes to see, the building of a train that connects Yerushalayim to Tel Aviv is like, that's bringing Malchus Hashem into the world. That's bringing Torah Shavalpet to the world. To the extent that the light rail goes all over the different parts of Eretz Yisrael, that brings Malchus Hashem to the world. Not to say anything of the big, you know, uh, not to be political or to say that I understand anything of how exactly this works, but there are certain communities right now where there are people who have a certain um, orientation towards, towards the state of Israel and towards uh, modernity in general who are fighting tooth and nail that there shouldn't be, that the light rail shouldn't come to their neighborhood because they don't want the light rail to connect their neighborhoods to other places that they think are, you know, and there are people who are far greater than me who are, who are protesting such a thing. But certainly... On another level, Rav Cook would say that the extension of these abilities and our ability to build up Eretz Yisrael and to have, uh, to have people planning all different aspects of what it means to be a nation on a land, these are all ways of building up Eretz Yisrael. However, at the same time, we need a Beis HaMikdash. And there's not going to be a Beis HaMikdash if we have people walking around the streets dressing in a way which is not conducive to a Beis HaMikdash. And if we have culture and cultural norms that are not conducive to a Beis And so we very much understand also the hesitance and the pulling of all different types of people in different directions, not wanting things and yes wanting things and moving these things. And our job as people who are uniquely situated, at least I can speak for myself, having grown up in this kind of um, proud to be Jewish or at least aware of our Judaism in such a way where we have the fortune and the responsibility and the danger of pulling light from all different places, of putting Rav Kook's svarim on the shelf right next to the Satan Rebbe's svarim, um, which I have in my house, so that we can understand that they both were saying Emes, and they both had something to be concerned about. And that being able to navigate that carefully is a very difficult thing to do, but us who have the ability to learn uh, both, you know, uh, revealed parts of Torah and hidden parts of Torah, and even within hidden parts of Torah, that we can learn Rav Kook and Divrei Yoel from the Satan Rebbe at the same time, or that we don't have to suffice with only learning the Svarim of Chabad, or only learning the Svarim of Rav Dessler and the Muslim movement and Rav Yisrael Salantar, but being able to pull light from all of these different places that comes also with, you know. So we need to be able to say, yes, it's important that Eretz Yisrael be built up. It's important that trains go everywhere. It's important that there be Wi-Fi everywhere in Eretz Yisrael, was the internet being used? And should there be Wi-Fi everywhere if, if it's not being used properly? I mean, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who said, we need to start broadcasting on the radio uh, for Brengens and things like that, got lambasted by other Gedolim of the time and said, you're going to use that filthy thing called the radio, which the internet has even much more dangers than, than just radio, which could blast you know, all types of kfira and things and this and that. And, and Lubavitcher Rebbe said, well, we have to use it the right way. And to the extent that we use it the right way, we'll be able to orient it towards, towards its proper usage. Doing that with a Rebbe is a very important thing to do. And Torah Shabal Peh is all about learning to navigate. Right? To the, I think it works both ways. To the extent that we 
expand our capacities as a nation in, in, in the land, to that extent that we can expand our, our reach, we need more Torah Shavuot to inform us how do we do this in the proper way and what are the Gedarim, which Torah Shavuot is famous for making Gedarim and making sure that we do this in the right way. At the same time, Oz Chayahi Torah Shavuot Ziv Tif Arta. And I mentioned to you before that Tiferes is the locale of the five books of Moses. Right? Mosaic prophecy, Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy, stems from the sphere of Tiferes. It's not, he wasn't just being poetic and saying that Torah Shavuot would be able to shine with all of its Tifarta, with all of its splendor. Because the Torah Shavuot, specifically the Ta of Tanakh, is rooted in Tiferes, whereas Nevi'im and Ksuvim are rooted in Netzach and Hod. So there is a movement from Tiferes, Netzach, Hod, finally to, 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 uh, to, to Malchus. And, and all of this is being alluded to here in the words of Rav Kook, to the extent that Eretz Yisrael, Malchus, is built up, then Torah Shavuot will be able to find its root and it will shine with its tiferes, meaning it will be enrooted back in Torah Shebech And he's going to say this now explicitly. Poreches umala nitza umitchaberes the Torah Shebech b'chol shiur komasa. To the extent that Torah Shebech and Eretz Yisrael are working in tandem with each other. That is to say that the building of the nation of Israel is happening with the advice of the Gedolei Yisrael, of the, of the greatest Torah minds of the generation. To the extent that we humbly, and, and by the way, again, I, I, you know that I'm like the least political person in the whole world, and, and like even history, like it's hard for me to describe because I don't like the way that it's politically maneuvered, but just to state the facts that when uh, Ben-Gurion went to the Chazanish and sat with the Chazanish, that was, that was such a Kiddush Hashem, that Ben-Gurion went to the Chazanish and in doing so, was able to make sure that buses don't ride on Shabbos, and to make sure that certain members of the Jewish community are exempt from army service because of the dangers to their spirituality, and because of other concessions that Ben-Gurion was willing to make. There's a very famous dialogue that took place between the two of them that's recorded in, in several places, that Ben-Gurion said, why should, why should we, who are building up the land, uh, bow ourselves to you, who who, who, you know, who are, who are you know, just sitting and learning and everything. That's what Chazanish said. That he gave him a mushal this in the Gemara. The Gemara says if you have two ships that are trying to pass through a narrow straits of water, or you have two camels that are trying to pass through a narrow path, and uh, how do you decide which one of them goes first? So the Gemara says that the ship, which has, is heavily laden with, with stuff, has kedimus, or the camel, that is heavily laden with, with, with wares to sell or to, to transport, has first priority. And the Chazanish said that we, who have been carrying this burden for 2,000 years and haven't taken it off our shoulders yet, whereas maybe some of the, I'm loath to use this word, but in, in this conversation, those who have removed the yoke of Torah and mitzvahs from their shoulders are now like the boat that's not carrying the heavy load. We have the right, we, we get first passage through the straits. And, and Ben Gurion apparently was very moved by that imagery and was willing to make many concessions, which are still in effect today, which some people are not happy about, and some are very important for the functioning of the Jewish uh, state as a Jewish state, like, for example, the fact that certain things are closed on Shabbos um, and, and giving uh, certain control to... This was another thing that the Chaznish uh, said we have to have, that the, the Rabbonim are the ones who are in charge of even the civil marriage, right? In America, like, you can be civilly married, as nothing to do with, but that, that 
the rabbis should be responsible. Like, you can't get a tax exemption for being married if you're not married through rabbinic means, and that way it controls the ability for Jews to marry Jews and for other things to be under legislation of. There are certain aspects of the democratic state of Israel, which is a thorn in the side of people who would like it to see if, uh, to be a fully democratic state. So there are certain things which, um, which are theocracy, so to speak, meaning it's like you can't get married unless you could prove to uh, a Beisdin that you are Jewish and that you are marrying a, another. That's not a recognized civil union, um, which is, you know, wow, that's a lot. I mean, you can convert to Judaism also. You, know, you don't have to be born Jewish. You're welcome to convert. We always accept converts. Um, but that's something that posed from the beginning, and it comes, the reason why I bring this up is, it comes through when the land, so to speak, is being built up in such a way where it's being done with counsel, to the extent that it's being done with counsel of the masters of Torah Shvalpeh, like the Chazanish, that to that extent, we see that Eretz Yisrael and Torah Shvalpeh work together in order to flourish in the best way. Now here, of Cook says, the most painful words that I've ever seen in his writings, at least when I first read it, it was like a dagger to my heart, to just translate the words that we just read, which I don't think I fully translated literally, poreches umala. It poreach means like it, it sprouts, like a flower, it blossoms. Thank you. Umala nitza, and it's it's bloom, it's nates, it's um, you know, it's, that's a part of the flower. It's uh, it's. I don't know exactly what part of the flower it, it exactly corresponds to. Nitza means it's like the you know, it, the bud, but not and that's not quite it. Um, like the top of the, the top of a pomegranate where those little b- blossoms are coming, you know, like the, the crown, so to speak, is called its, its nates. It means like the, 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 the stem or the, that's not exactly like what Like the middle of the flower? I'll have to ask my dad. Like, yeah. Not the stamen or the pistil or maybe, maybe those are good translations, but it's, it's a part of the blossoming. Nitza umitchaber, I'll have to ask my father who's a botany fanatic. Um, and it connects itself to the written Torah with the fullness, with the fullness of its height. Veshiur komasav, which means with the fullness of its height. In other words, the Torah Shabbat and the Torah Shabbat kind of like rise to each other and fully kind of like they come and, and cling to each other face to face. Now, here are the three words. Begalos nifredu hatuumim. In exile, the twins became separated. The imagery here is just uh, very powerful for me, personally. It brings to mind Holocaust imagery. Uh, you know, like two children being like separated. Um, having a moment to choose one of the two and the other one being pulled apart from the other, screaming. Uh, also, my Rebbe, Moshe Weinberger, talks about when he was separated from his brother, Rav Lau, Rav uh, Lau and his amazing autobiography where he talks about separating from his brother Naftolchik where he's still allowed his brother Naftolchik and being separated this pulling apart the Golos in exile the twins were separated these two best friends Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat become separated the Golos Nisalsa Torshibhsav Limarome Kadsha. Torshibhsav, the holy Torshibhsav, that part which really is generated solely from Shemaim alone, retreats, it goes back up. 
and retreats back to its place on high, the Marome Kacha, to its holy place, Marom, up high. The Yarda Torah Shabal Peh, and in separating from the Torah Shabal the Torah Shabal Peh begins a descent. It descends Baomek Tachtit, down into the lowest depths. There's a Torah, I think I mentioned it to you on Friday, from the Meimar, from Yaakov Moshe Chalap, student of Rav Kook, where he explains that the Talmud Bavli specifically is made from Bavel, which is, if you recall, in Parshas Noach, which we just read, so all of the waters, all of the floodwaters, all drain into a place called Shinar, which is part of Bavel, which is a big valley, right? The water drains to the lowest point. And in Shinar, in that valley, where the water drains, that is where the people go to set up Migdal Bavel to go fight against Shemaim. Now that fight against Shemaim, that Migdal Bavel, or Yaakov Moshe Chalap, even though it is a negative expression for Rav Kook and for his students, even the negative expressions that take place in the world are all holy urges that are coming either not at the right time or not directed with the exact, the energy is right, but it's not being directed exactly in the right way. And so for Rav Kook, and specifically for Yaakov Moshe Chalap and the Sefer Meim Marum, Parshas Noach, he writes that it is out of the seed of the Talmud, of, of the uh, Tower of Bavel, that is going to fight against Shemayim, that the entire fighting spirit of the Torah Shabal Peh, which is Nitzchuni Banai, Loba Shemayim He, we fight against Hashem with, on His own terms, by analyzing the Torah and coming to conclusions which may not be fully in agreement with Hashem's original understanding of it, but through the beautiful union that takes place between Am Yisrael and, and, and really the chief intellect of Am Yisrael, and a and this delicate balance of, on, on the one hand, completely submitting our will to God's will and our interpretation of the Torah. Um, there is this ability to fight against, so to speak, God, if we could say such a thing, right? That Hashem was laughing during that uh, often kind of like overly stated or misstated Gemara of Lo Hashemayimhi, exactly how that manifests and when we use that, and, right? That Hashem said, Nitzchuni banai. My children defeated me, or like the Gemara says in another place. Man Malki Rabbanon. Who are my kings, says Hashem? The rabbis. The rabbis are able to rule over me. Right? And so, um, the Torah Shabal Peh goes down, Laomek Tachtit, down into the depths. Into what depths? Into that valley where the water is drained and where the, Talmud, uh, the, where the Tower of Bavel was formed. Eventually, that Tower of Bavel becomes the Talmud Bavli. That seed rots, because it is rotten. And the, the will to fight against Hashem manifests instead as this more holy uh, grappling with God on his own terms, using his own Torah to grapple with Hashem. And Torah Shabbat descends into the depths. Like I told you before, heshivani, I sit in the depths. Now, this happens, by the way, through the proliferation of Torah Shabbat Right? Every, every generation, there is more and more and more Torah Shabbat so it, it's, on the surface, it seems like Torah Shabbat Peh is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, not, not smaller and smaller and smaller. But the truth is that anybody understands that if you read a Rashba properly or you read a Ritva properly, you see that what the Ritva was able to say in a few words takes, you know, an Achron, pages and pages to explain what is the Ritva really saying. Every letter is accounted for, every word is accounted for. What Rashi is writing with such brevity is revealing so much. And so in the same way that we would say that the luchos contained all of the Torah Shabbat in them in this such brief, you know, ten, ten uh, utterances or ten commandments of the luchos, so Torah Shabbat is being degraded to the extent that it needs to become formalized. 
And so yes, more, more and more books and more and more writings are being done. But to the extent that the Torah Shabbat Pet is not explicit within the Torah Shabbat itself, that is an experience of exile. And so we know that, for example, the Vilna Gon, at the end of his life, stopped reading from Sfarim and just carried around a small Sefer Torah that he had, and he could read everything into the Torah Shabbat He knew it all. And so when he saw any nuance, right, in the Gemara that we have, like, the Pasuk says it like this and not like this, or, you know, it was all there revealed for the Vilna Gon right in front of his eyes. He would just look at the Pasuk, and all the drushes of Chazal were in, etched onto his heart. And he was able to see it out of the, out of the Torah Shabbat And so to the extent that the Torah Shabbat Peh is not another book and another book and another book and another book, but rather is entrenched in the Torah Shabbat that is the Torah Shabbat Peh in its proper form. To the extent that it needs to be written down and further elucidated and further elucidated and further elucidated, that is a Yerida of the Torah Shabbat Peh from its unspoken form and etched on our heart form to a, to a written form. Nevertheless, it receives its six twenty. We have till six thirty. So, to the extent that um, it goes down further, This is also a very beautiful lashon. Nevertheless, he yenika. Again, that word yenika. What I'm going to translate it literally, and then I'll elaborate more, it receives a quiet, a whispered or a, a hushed, better translated, a hushed nursing, a hushed nourishment from the light of the Torah Shabbat Sav Misafiach Ha'avar, what's Svichin? It's a Shemitah term so, I have it as appendix mm, Okay, a Safach is an appendix These are all words that are related to it Svichin literally means aftergrowths, right? So the appendix is like something which is like an afterthought, right? Or um, to annex means to like have like, this is yeah. the land and this is yeah. like the secondary part of the land, right? Svichin in, in, in agriculture means things that grow on their own. So svichin sha'avar means like if there was once um, some grain field over here, let's say, for example, even if the field gets destroyed or is not being properly... Uh, harnessed through plowing and watering properly, there's going to inevitably be some aftergrowths, right? So that, so that the, it's being nourished by the aftergrowth, even though the Torah Shabbat went up to its place on high and abandoned, so to speak, the Torah Shabbat project, there are some re- residue, there are some aftergrowths of the past, which are in a hidden form, nursing the Torah Shabbat Shabbat uh, Shabbat rather, However, that aftergrowth, that little bit, that's that residue which is left behind in order to nourish the Torah Shabbat, it is only sufficient, it is only maspik, it is only sufficient it is only sufficient to leave it standing in a very uh, in a very constricted life form. It's barely alive. It's what's referred to in the language, you could write this down as well, it's referred to in the language of, of the Zohar Kodesh as a kusta dichiyusa. It has a kusta dichiyusa, which means just the base, the most tiniest spark of life is, is, is still remaining. Kusta dichiyusa. The Vilna Gon in the, uh, in the, in the Safra de Tznusa, 
very has like a very famous passage. It's a very esoteric work, but there's a very oft quoted uh, source there, which is found in Sifri Musar and, and the like, where the Vilna Gaon describes the the decomposition of the human being, which takes place after a person dies, and its overlap with the decomposition of the Jewish people through exile. That when the Sanhedrin, so to speak, was removed from the Beis Hamikdash, then already the neshama left the body on a certain level. Uh, and when the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, then that is actual death. That's like full death. And when, and again, I might not be getting the exact one-to-one correlation exactly correct, and when the Jewish people were kicked out of Eretz Yisrael, that was the beginning of the rotting, the decomposition of the body. And when uh, the next generation was born, and like people really fully like never experienced the air of Eretz Yisrael, that was when the bones start to decompose as well. Until all that's left in the for the Jewish people in exile is just the luz bone, that one little bone. And in that luz bone, says the Gra, is a kusta dechiusa, is a tiny bit of life. And from that, Hashem will take that little ember, that spark, which is still remaining, that spark of life, which is still there in the coal, which is still burning, and he'll fl- fan that flame until it becomes a raging fire once again, and that'll be the Trias Amesim, the regeneration, the renaissance, so to speak, of the, of the Jewish people. So that Chaim Mitzum is this constricted life form, which eventually one day will be able to, to come back. Now there's so much that I want to say, and I don't want to wait until next time so we're not going to finish the piece today. We'll finish the piece next time, because if I would finish the piece now, I wouldn't be able to say some of the things I want to say. Okay, so some, some arrows to make along the way. There is a remarkable connection to further the connection between Eretz Yisrael and Torah Shabbat Who was the first Torah Shabbat personality that existed? There's mul- multiple answers to this question. Moshe. You could argue Moshe. You could argue Aaron, Cohen. Uh, Adam? Uh, Is that what you said? Adam? Uh, Chava. Chava, okay. Chava, I could hear Chava. Um, and these are all fair. Um, Yoshua. Yoshua is the one I'm going to go with right now. Even though this is... These are not mutually exclusive. If we had enough time and enough patience and enough knowledge, know-how, we could show how there's overlap between the personalities of Chava and Aaron and Moshe, Kwat, and... And Yoshua. But Yoshua, Yoshua is the first one. Torah, uh, Moshe Kibo Torah Misinai. Moshe received the Torah Shivachsa from Sinai. Umisara Yoshua. And the Misora begins with, with being given over to Yoshua. Now, how much time are we going to have for this? Uh, let's begin. Let's begin anyway. Okay? So there is a notion, there is a concept, which is found in the writings of Rav Pinchas Karzer, the Sefer of Rav Pinchas, which is found uh, very explicitly in the writings of the Bnei Saschar, the Dinifer Rebbe, that everything, every two levels that exist have between them something called an emtsai, like emtsa, have an emtsai. The emtsai is that which bridges, is the Venn diagram that has the overlapping circle that bridges two different disparate things and brings them closer to each other and makes them together. So, um, for example, something that maybe you're familiar with from last year from Komish class, so there is the four levels of Domim, Tzomeach, Chai, and Medaber. So this, the, the Bnei Sashar at length, and the Imri Pinchas really said it first. Um, so Domim is inanimate uh, or, or silent beings. 
that, like for example, let's say a rock, minerals. Okay, so uh, between minerals and vegetables, so the Emir Pinchas says there's coral. Coral is a sea plant that when it dies, it becomes a mineral. It takes on mineral properties. It takes on a rock. And that coral, therefore, is the emtsa'i between uh, mineral and vegetable. Between vegetable and living, we have things like the Venus flytrap, for example, that has a digestive system, that has animal-like properties that can actually digest food in such a way that is unusual. Or uh, perhaps a more mythical idea, which again, I'm not, I don't say mythical in the sense that it, it never existed or it did exist, or I, it's a hard thing to wrap our head around, but the Mishnayas speak of something called the Adne Hasadeh, which is supposed to be some sort of Mishnayas and Kalayim. Adne Hasadeh are, are some sort of half man, half plant being. Whether Chazal are analyzing the theoretical thing that was believed to exist, as some Rishon will understand it, or some Achron will really understand it. This thing never existed, but Chaz, there, was, there was a concept, Chazal did not have access to all of science in this tradition, which is, you know, one way of looking at things. It's like more the tradition of the rationalists that Chazal were working with, the beliefs of the day. And so what Chazal were told that there's this thing called Adne Asada, so they analyzed it through the halachic prism. Or whether this is something that actually did exist and ceases to exist. And lay there. Uh, there are certain passages that talk about people meeting these things. I don't know exactly how to navigate this. Um, and, uh, and also, I personally... I'm more comfortable with the notion of the omniscience of Chazal, even if it's not... I believe in my own omniscience also. I just don't... I, I, I also believe in my own making mistakes, you know, and not having access to my own omniscience. And um, it's complicated. I think you know me long enough to know that I'm not speaking clearly here because it's not... It's both. And to, more, to the extent that we merit it, the more that we become in tune with that which we can't articulate. So um, these represent the bridges between uh, vegetable and, and, and animal. And then between animal and man, you have things like uh, chimpanzees and apes, the great apes, which are capable of all types of things. And uh, the Malach HaShlomo in Masech that says that uh, apes and elephants are actually devolved from humans, which is a very strange keta, but <laughs> need to say that. Uh, that he says that uh, he says that that's why uh, we specifically look at the Gemara in Brachos in the ninth parak. It says that the Brach of Meshane Habrios, that the changing of uh, Meshane Habrios, that Hashem makes strange-looking, Meshune-looking creatures, um, is also to say that Meshane means to change. And so the Gemara says we make Meshane Habrios on, on, on um, elephants and monkeys. So the Melech Shlomo asks why are those the two examples that are given? And he says because they literally changed. They were humans. And after the Dora Mabel and the Dora Flaga, these we people... We saw this last year. We looked at it inside? I think so. Yeah, so the Melech Shlomo and, and Kalim. It's a wild keta. And what were we to say? I don't know. Later. But why do I bring up this concept of the Emtzai? Because in the same way, and we're going to end with this because I don't want to take you away from dinner. I'm not good on that. You have to eat. You have to eat. You have to eat. So you have to sleep on time. Last time, also. So, okay, okay, yeah, so... So, um... Let's, let's end with this. I'm just going to point out, and next time we'll, we'll start with this and we'll, we'll finish the piece. In the worldview of, uh, of this notion of emtsa'i, so there must also be an emtsa'i that bridges the character of the world of Torah Shavachsan and Torah And so what we'll talk about next time is how Sefer Dvarim, Sefer Dvarim, which is part of Torah Shavachsan, of course, it's part of the Torah, and at the same time has these very strange properties that are Torah Shavachsan-ish, 
is seen in the writings of the Shem Yishmuel and the Abne Nezer and the tradition of Sochachov and others as well as the Emtsa'i, as the bridge between Torah Shav and Torah Shav Peh, which is why Yehoshua is said to be the signon. There's a Medrash Chazal that says Yehoshua's book was, was Sefer Tzvar. And you remember the Gemara that says how Moshe Benu didn't finish Sefer Tzvar and Yehoshua wrote the last eight Pesukim and all of this, we'll un- we're going to unpack this big time next time, that Yoshua is the one who unpacks this world of Sefer Dvarim because it is the bridge between Torah Shavuot and Torah Shavuot. Just as Yoshua in personality is the bridge between Torah Shavuot and Torah Shavuot. And that is why Yoshua is the one who brings Am Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. Because he is the one who brings Torah Shavuot back to Torah Shavuot in such a way where he bridges the two of those worlds together. And that's Yoshua's job, to bring the world of Torah Shavuot and Torah Shavuot together. And we'll learn that in Mitzvah Shemaisa.